Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please do get in touch at hello at hopeharrogate.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, mate. Lovely. Well, it's just great to have the opportunity to share with you all. I'm going to see if I can see you. Yeah, I can see you. That's good. See some of your faces anyway. So uh, that's lovely. What a great time of worship we've had. And uh, I hope you've had your ears open because God's been speaking already. And uh, there's an opportunity now just to hear perhaps a repeat of some of what God has already been saying. As Adam said, we're going to continue our series in uh, Nehemiah. And uh, if you're a bit astute like I am, you would have thought that the uh, story would have finished uh, because it was in the end of chapter six that actually the wall was built and the gates were hung and it was sort of party party time. But, you know, God is the master builder and uh, he was building not just a wall. It wasn't just building uh, people uh, to build uh, putting gates on, on 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 those walls and making it secure. He was really concerned uh, about that and for that. But you know he's been building something else. He's been building community, and he's been building people's hearts towards him. Uh, and this morning, uh, I want to really focus on that whole aspect of God building people's hearts. It's been interesting how that song, "Open Heart." has come through and I, I just want you to to allow the Holy Spirit really to take uh, some of the things that I say and, and and I pray as we do that that God's going to build your heart towards him in a fresh and special way so let's get on with this let's get to chapter eight if you've got your Bible please get that out uh, your tablet however you read the Bible reading from the NIV the New International Version uh, and the words also will come up uh, on the screen in a moment and work us through. So we're going to read chapter eight. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. So all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. Which, he, uh, which was made up of men and women and all who are able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform built for the occasion and beside him were all these people, which I'm not going to read their names. Ezra, verse 5, opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites and all these other people instructed the people in the law while the people were, uh, were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the understanding so the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, 
This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the scribe, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from the olive and wild olive trees, from myrtle, palms and shade trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back the branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole community that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua of Nun until the, that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like, uh, like this, and there was very great joy. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, they celebrated the feast of seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Amen. Wonderful. Wonderful. Very interesting. I want to just uh, take a moment to go through um, what we've just read a little bit slow. I don't know if you're like me. I can read something and find that I've missed it by uh, the way I've read. And one of the things I've learned over the years is actually sometimes it's really helpful to read Scripture slowly. Actually, very slowly, reading it word, pause, word, pause. And it's interesting what we actually find. And it's just for, good for us just to see this. So if you look in verse one, for instance, it's, it starts off all the people assembled as one man. That's quite extraordinary. There's great unity. And you see that unity coming through this chapter. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. They told Ezra. They told him something had happened in their hearts. They were hungry for God. And as we look down, we find in verse six that this whole community starts to worship. And then in verse 10, we find that they start to repent. And from verse 14, we find that there's this wonderful outflow of their repentance in amazing obedience. In fact, the act of obedience here with the booths hadn't been done for a thousand years. It was a thousand years from Joshua uh, through to uh, this, this particular point in their history. And there's something else that comes out in this chapter quite a bit is joy. And it says actually at the end of this time of celebration, there was very great joy. It's good to pause just to go back seven months when Nehemiah received the report from 
his friends about Jerusalem. They use the phrase great trouble and disgrace. And something's been going on. Something's happened to them in this period of time. You see, the report that came back was that actually there was chaos. The people of God were very vulnerable. Their, their plight was very serious. They had no walls and no gates. They were open to anybody coming in, enemy or, or what have you. And we find that their hearts were broken. They were a broken people. They were actually open to real derision and to being despised. It said they were a despised people. If you think about it, they were in disgrace because they had a temple, but they had no walls. They were not had an identity anymore as a city. I think if you want to think about the fear that that must bring, think about what we saw in the last few years in places like Aleppo, what we saw several years ago in Beirut. And perhaps it's going on in the Yemen at this moment in time where People are just in utter fear because the walls of their cities have been broken down. This is what the people of God were, were, were like and what they were in. But, you know, God in his kindness is, is this master builder. And he arranged to provoke Nehemiah to be his man and leadership. He sent to the people of God great leadership and he sent all the resources that they needed so the wall could be built. And as I said earlier, something else was going on. God was in his wonder, wonderful heart, wanting to build them back into a community. Because as we've heard, there was the extortion going on. There was there was hunger because actually there was really poor governance taking place. But he was also wanting to build their hearts. And chapter eight really is the chapter where we see exposed what was being built in their hearts. This wonderful, intense hunger for God had been awakened in them. The goodness of God had awakened them to uh, their hearts to hunger. So I want to look at four things this morning. Sujay, if you could put the slide up, just four things I want to draw out from uh, this passage and from the story really so far. I want us to see that repentance is our friend and that in God nothing is wasted, but rather all things are possible and actually god is in the building business and jesus said i will build my church and so i want to just put out some things from uh these four points uh as we go through in terms of if repentance is our friend you know uh, repentance is about turning our hearts isn't it so again it's about hearts being turned to him and in the what we've read this morning, there is this interesting phrase at the end of verse 10 of chapter 8. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's fair to say that I think most of us have been brought up with the sense that, uh, that repentance is nothing to do with joy at all. It's all to do with, with, with tears and snotty noses, really, isn't it? It's, uh, that's what we, we were associate uh, repentance with. But here we find that they're being encouraged not to mourn and not to weep because it's a holy day. But the joy of the Lord is their strength. You know, the Bible tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And this people had experienced wonderful kindness. You know, it was about 70 years 
from when they completed the temple to this day. And so they'd lived with that disappointment that they'd seen this revival, God's glory come. But now they're in a place where actually they're in disgrace, but they had experienced the kindness of God. And what also this hunger for God had created was a hunger for God's word. We see it so clearly in what we've read that there was a hunger for God's word. And God's word to them was the law. So as Adam said last week, that was they would have read the first five chapters of our Bibles. That's what they had. So it would have been from Genesis through to them coming into the promised land. And we think of the law often of just a, a stack of do's and don'ts, should and shouldn't do's. But the law is far more than that. The law was about the demonstration of God's deliverance. It was about his presence. It's about his power. And they would have heard words like this about the nature and character of God. He says in Deuteronomy, he says, I have set my affection upon you. They would have heard words like, you are my treasured possession. Words like, I will bless you. And they would have read from uh, Exodus, the book of Exodus, when God talks about himself to Moses. Remember, Moses had asked God to show him his glory. And God says, no, I'll let my goodness pass before you. And they would have heard God say this of himself. I am the Lord God, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, retaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He does not live the guilt, uh, leave the guilty unpunished. And it was those words that cut their heart. The Holy Spirit would cut their hearts and uh, they start to weep and mourn. And I started to think, well, how do I explain why the joy of the Lord is their strength? Why is that? And, you know, Jesus told a brilliant story, didn't he, about a father and two sons. And one of the sons basically comes to his dad and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance. And the father willingly gives him his inheritance and releases him to go. And then, as you know, the story, he goes and squanders all he has and finds himself in a desperate, destitute situation. And he decides to return. You know, that's repentance. He decides to turn back to the father. And when the father was looking for his son, he sees him a long way off, it says in the Bible. And of course, we know what the father does, don't we? He runs inside. He bars the door of the house. He puts the window locks on and he sets the pack dogs out, doesn't he, to go after the son to chase him away. You know, that's how some of us sometimes feel about God, isn't it? We fear coming to Father. But this is what actually uh, the, uh, Jesus said in that story from Luke 15. He says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, Paul writing to the Romans says, when sin increases, grace abounds all the more. And as sons and daughters, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't pack his bags and hike off when we fail and we mess up. 
you know, the reality is we fall and fail into grace. We fall into the arms of a loving father who loves us and is perfect in his forgiveness. You know, there's a truth that often gets missed here because people often say that the father restored his sonship. You know, that is completely untrue. Do you know why it's untrue that his sonship was not restored? Because it was never lost. He was always a son. He was always a son. You listen to what the father says. He says, um, this son, uh, the, the, this, uh, the son says, father, but this father says, this is the son who was a dead, but he's now alive. In the father's heart, he was never not a son. And that's wonderful because, you know, when we do make a mess, when we do sin and we turn our hearts to God, we come as the children of God. We have this brilliant access. And so the, what is the joy of the Lord? Well, I think it's the joy of the Father, isn't it? And it might seem strange, but the joy of the Lord is God's joy in you, God's delight in you. That's what we've just read in, uh, I've just read from uh, Luke 15. says of Jesus that he would be satisfied with the anguish of his soul. Isaiah 53 verse 11. What was his satisfaction? Was it that he just completed what the father said? No, the satisfaction clearly from that verse is you and me. He delights in us. And we know Zephaniah 3.17 says that God rejoices and sings over us. You know, in the Hebrew, that word, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Actually, the word there means assurance of security. It means a place of safety, a place of protection. You know, this morning we can uh, turn our hearts to him. And actually, we know that the assurance of his love. We can always come and we come, as I say, as sons and daughters. He delights in our repentance because repentance restores us to receive his grace. You see, that's what, the far, that's what was restored to the son. What was restored to the son was his experience of the embrace of the father, of the love of the father, the joy of the father. See, when we come to God, we come to eyes full of love, full of hope and destiny. We don't come to eyes full of judgment or punishment. That was all dealt with Jesus, uh, by Jesus. And we don't come to eyes of withering disappointment. You know, Father God is never disappointed in us. He doesn't run out. He comes towards. And actually that word disappointment was raised by Steve. He talked about not being disappointed in God. And it's interesting because I felt there was a moment here for some people. I feel that there's some here that perhaps from your mum or your dad, when you made a mess or didn't quite achieve what you should have achieved, you actually received withering disappointment. It might not have been a lashing with the tongue. It might have just been a look on a face or a turning away. You know, God wants to heal that because he's not like that. He wants to lift disappointment off people this morning. I really believe that. And then what do we see? We see this glorious obedience 
they are hungry. The next day, they're hungry to find out how do we walk in the ways of God. You know, it came out of devotion, not out of fear or duty. Fear and duty are a very poor way to walk in the ways of God. You know, Jesus said this. He said this to his disciples at the end of John 14. He said, you know, I have obeyed the Father so the world may know that I love. I love him. And he said it to us, too. He said, you know, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's not a, if you love me. That is no, actually, out of devotion comes obedience. And God wants our hearts to be full of his love and, and devotion towards him, that we would walk in his ways. So you see, repentance isn't something to fear. Repentance isn't something to turn away from. But actually, repentance is a joy. It's actually our friend because it actually restores us to the Father's presence and the Father's embrace. Next thing I think I just want to look at is that nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Actually, I'm going to run nothing is wasted with all things are possible because they are very closely linked. And, and nothing is wasted is about the positioning of our hearts. Repentance is about the turning of our hearts, but nothing being wasted is about the positioning of our hearts. You know, every difficulty and trouble is an opportunity to be led uh, for an encounter with God. Every trouble is an opportunity for us to experience his grace. So this broken down wall, these burnt gates, was an opportunity for God to do something radical, to build a community and to build hearts. And we can have a variety of responses, can't we, to trouble? We can say, well, when the, tough, uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's a very, you know, jut your jaw out type of response to trouble and difficulty. Some of us have a pity party, don't we? Poor old me. Why me? It always happens to me. We're a bit like Eeyore. Oh, dear. We can be like that. Some of us get just bitter and we blame people. We blame God and we get angry. I told you so. It was too good to be true. Some of us are in the foreboding group. We know it was going to happen. I'm sure there was trouble just around the corner anyway. You never want to get a prophecy from a foreboding person. That's not good news at all. And then there's the ostrich group, of course, the, the ones that hide, that stick their heads in the sand or run to comfort. But, you know, we have a choice to take control of our hearts and position ourselves in the presence of God for an encounter. And, you know, that's exactly what Nehemiah did. Exactly what Nehemiah did. If you turn in your Bible back to Nehemiah chapter 1, I've lost Nehemiah. You turn back to chapter one, you'll see his reaction to trouble. And if you're if you're a note taker, this this will please you because you've got some points coming. So, what do we see? The first thing that happens when he hears, you see that in verse four. He says, "When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven." What's the first thing that he does when trouble and difficulties come? He pours out his heart. He faces the reality of the situation. 
he's emotionally intelligent, we would say these days. He, he tells God how he actually feels. You know, there is nothing in Scripture that says that faith hides us from difficulties. And it's not f- full of faith to mention trouble and face the reality. And in fact, it says of, of Abraham that uh, he considered his body dead uh, and his wife uh, was beyond the age of bearing. He faced the reality, but he still trusted God. Look at Job. Job hears bad news. Trouble comes on him. What's he do? He rends his garden, his garments. He puts ash on his head and he sits down and then he worships. But he gave expression to his pain. And it's all right in difficulty and trouble to give full expression to your pain to God. It's fine. God loves that. He he loves your honesty. And then he positions his heart with worship. You look in in verse 5. He says, oh, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He he has this wonderful expression of worship. And he makes a positive. The second thing he does is make a confession of truth. He says he keeps his covenant of love with those who love and obey his commands. And then in verse six and seven, he orders his heart. We see this. He he starts to confess his sin. He starts to take on responsibility. And then five, he reminds God of his of his promise. It's wonderful. We have these wonderful promises, don't we? And he reminds God in verses six, uh, eight and ten of, 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 of God's promise. And then he goes on to ask God for favor and success. And then the last thing he does is he waits Seven things that he does to position his heart. He waits. He's not passive. He's alert. But, you know, it's six to seven months before the wall is complete. And there's a whole month of waiting before he expresses himself to to the king. You know, a few weeks ago, we were uh, just praying with some folks. And uh, God reminded me while we were praying about Joshua. Remember Joshua? He was going to take on uh, Jericho and um, he encounters the command of the Lord's host. And Joshua immediately gets into tactic mode. He wants to get from the command of the Lord's host how we should attack Jericho and what is the strategy. It's interesting how the command of the Lord's host responds, which is take off your shoes. The place where you're standing is holy ground. And I felt God say to me earlier this week that um, when we're in difficulty and trouble, we're not to run around like headless chickens, but we to get into his presence. Because it's presence before perspective. When trouble comes, we lose perspective. But actually, God wants us to get his perspective on things. And we, too, carry an amazing promise, don't we? From Romans 8, 28 says all things work together for the good of him, for those who love him. 
Now, I know because I've been in some dark places in recent years that sometimes that verse can sound like God is uh, wanting us to sweep uh, under the carpet the realities of our difficulties and troubles. And I've said, no, the Bible never calls bad goods and scripture never does that. It gives us an opportunity to be real. And neither is that verse saying um, good equals happy ever after in the now. You know, Hebrews 11 is very clear. Some died having not received what they believed. It goes on to say that some got sawn in two while others received their dead back to life again. And so that promise of God is true, but it requires us to trust. It requires us to position our hearts, like I have said. And I just want to say about COVID, it's been mentioned already by Megan this morning. You know, don't waste this season. I hear too often, I can't wait to get back to normal. I just feel God would say, your normal wasn't the normal that I was enjoying. I believe even for us who love Jesus, there is an opportunity this, this season is presenting for us, for our hearts to be strengthened, our hearts to be enlarged. God hasn't stopped working because of COVID. There is actually a greater work to be done. Don't just long to get out of this. Don't say, well, I'm getting going. Don't start, you know, jutting your jaw out or sticking your head in the sand. Actually, there's a place to be in the presence of God to get God's perspective right now, right now. And then there's this other thing. All things are possible. And that's not that's about the atmosphere of your heart. So repentance is about the turning of our hearts. Uh, uh, nothing is wasted is about positioning of our hearts and all things are possible is about the atmosphere of our hearts I think if we look at this story one of the incredible things is that Nehemiah and Ezra created an atmosphere of faith just have a look at, at, at the story as we go through you see when Nehemiah is with uh, the, 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 the officials and they've walked around the walls and looked at the rubble and he's told them what he's going to do. You look in chapter two, verse 18 of what he says. With God, it's possible. With God, it's possible. He makes these great declarations. We saw one here in the prayer of Ezra, the great God. Uh, Nehemiah talks about. The God of heaven will give us success. Look at his prayers and the praise and the worship. So they created this atmosphere of faith. And, you know, faith is infectious if our hearts are not cynical. And we guard our hearts. We're told to guard our hearts. Faith is not a humanistic mind over matter it's rooted in my relationship with God my knowing of him and so I'd like to say this morning what are you listening to you know it's important to be informed but not to be influenced just ask you check how the news is making you feel check how conversations that you're having with people leave you testimony 
is an important way of, of building faith amongst us. The Word of God is another important way. I will mention those podcasts. They've been a hoot to do, and some of the laughter will be on those podcasts. Uh, Rachel and Adam, which has been a great time. But actually, what are you feeding your heart? You know, Bible takes it very seriously. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You know, the atmosphere within you is the atmosphere you project around you. So we need to be clear to live in, in an atmosphere of faith. God wants our hearts to live in that faith. And we have responsibility in that regard, responsibility to know him, responsibility to prove him. But I just want to say I know that uh, when we lose things, and, and some folks amongst us have, have lost work, they've lost income, some have lost health. These are very real things. But God would encourage you to position your heart towards him and find that he he will he will turn things to good it might not be the outcome that you want it might not be the outcome you're expecting but that promise is true and you know we have a hope that is eternal don't we we have a hope that is eternal we aren't just bound to living here we're going to be with Jesus one day forever and ever and all tears will be wiped away all sighing will cease all sickness will be gone and and we must keep that hope alive in us as well and then the last thing is we've seen that god builds community and god said i jesus said i will build my church and this really is about the restoration of hearts you know in nehemiah chapter 4 the last part of verse 2 there is this mockery that comes it says can they build uh, can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are it's interesting that the stones they would have uh, rebuilt the wall with were probably uh, apparently made of limestone and when limestone gets in the fire it cracks and it crumbles so we're not talking about a pile of stones in the rubble heap that were in good nick, just a bit black because they've been burnt. No, they would have been cracked and they would have been rubble. And Psalm 113 verse 7 says this, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets, uh, he seats them with princes. This is what God wants to do. God has taken us, he's taken you, he's taken me, and the Bible says there weren't many wise amongst us. There were not many noble. God has taken the foolish things, Mark Hewitt's of this world, to confound the wise. I'm just aware that some people have been burnt. That their lives, uh, 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 beginnings are, are tragic. And I don't know, you might be tuning into this, uh, listening. Uh, you might be just looking for God, looking for some solution. And your life has been, a, what I would say, a burnt stone. It's been broken and crumbled. You know, God loves you and he will choose you to put you as a living stone in his church. 
you know, 1 Peter 2 speaks about taking stones. It says this, he says, uh, one, uh, in uh, 1 Peter 2, he says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by man, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God takes the burnt stones and the broken stones and he reshapes them, he restores them so that they will declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. You know, there's also a tragedy that sometimes in church life, we get burnt, don't we? Sometimes we get disappointed. It might have happened in this church. It might be that you've come from another church. Perhaps the church you were in, you had great hopes for and it just didn't work out. I just want to say, you know, there is an important season right now that if you are on the fringe of this church because you've been hurt, because you've been burned, perhaps, as I say, you've, you've, you've come from another church and you're just a bit burnt and broken. This is a season to be, to be restored, a season to be healed. God wants to place you back in the wall, back in the church. He wants to place you and build you in. There is a restoration of your heart. There is a healing available to you. You know, it starts by you expressing your pain. It starts by being honest. It might need a phone call. Approach the elders lovingly. You know, elders, leaders, we, we are just men. We are just human beings. We make mistakes. If you've been let down by a leadership team, then there is a place to express your pain. You know, and it starts also with forgiveness. We offer forgiveness. And I would suggest also you seek to get into God's presence and let him deal with your disappointment. You know, there's a phrase in there that says the heart of the matter is always the matter of our hearts. And Nehemiah, though it is about building the wall, as I say, God was after something far more, something equally precious, which is our hearts. And I believe this morning God just wants to build our hearts towards him. And I want to encourage you, there's hearts that need to freshly turn to him and find that repentance is your friend. Some of you need to position your hearts in the midst of difficulty and trouble and find that nothing is wasted in God. Some, you need to find faith. You need to get yourself into the atmosphere of faith to stop listening to something, stop reading something, stop speculating. Speculation doesn't achieve anything, just gives you a headache and leads you to disappointment. Actually, you need to get into the presence of God, into the atmosphere of faith. And then there's those that have been burnt. There's those that have found either in their life or in church life that they've been burnt. Actually, it's time to have hearts restored. God wants you to be one that declares the praises of who he is. 
in Ephesians 3, it says, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is to be made known. I love that phrase, the manifold wisdom of God, because that's about the sparkling wonder of who God is, the sparkling beauty, the multicoloured, multifaceted nature of who he is. And we're called to declare that because we have a world, don't we, that right now is desperate. It's desperate for the church to be all that God intended her to be. And if I'm a bit burnt and a bit broken, actually, I'm not going to be in that place. But God wants you in that place. God longs for you to be restored. And some of you have come to that to this church in that place. And I want to, to encourage you. God wants you. God wants you. God loves you. He, he has not retired. Some of you feel you're being retired by God. No, you haven't. If God's retired you, you wouldn't be here. But God's got a place and a part for you to play that's powerful in this situation, in this time. So let me just pray for you. And then I'm going to give you some instructions before we go into our community groups. But let me just pray for you, particularly if you feel deep disappointment. If you feel deep disappointment, I believe God wants to do something, change your, change your heart this morning and show you that he loves you. So, Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being so present with us today. We just love it. Lord, we turn our hearts to you to find grace. We turn our hearts. We open our hearts to you right now. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and lovingly position us, lovingly speak to us, that we can position ourselves appropriately before you and to receive the grace that you have for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you delight in us. I thank you there's no one that you turn away. All who come to you, find grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Amen.